Welcome to The Smiley Connection, a podcast brought to you by the Smiley Professionals Network and The Smiley. On this show, we'll bring you professionals from all walks of life and across all industries to help you grow professionally and personally. We'll laugh, we'll learn, we'll connect. And who knows, you may find your next Smiley Connection on our show. Hi, and Yalima, everyone. It's Sony Gossam. And on this episode, we're highlighting Anar Amin. She spent the last 10 years as a professional teacher in STEP, also known as the Secondary Teacher Education Program, and seven years as a regional academic lead for the Central and Western USA under the Ismaili Tariqa and Religious Education Board. Now, I typically start off my interviews by asking speakers one same question. Who are you? We don't always publish those answers, but Anars in particular seem to capture her life journey. And you'll see what I mean as we dig deeper. I am like the Kintsugi bowl. It is this concept in the Japanese culture where if a ceramic breaks, you don't just throw it away, it's still usable. And the way that they repair it and put it back together is by filling it with gold filling. Um, so in a way, it's sort of like a beautifully broken bowl, but yet still perfectly usable. It's got its edge, it's got its character, it's got a little bit of history in it, and maybe a story behind it of how it was broken. So I feel like that's the best way to describe myself. In this episode, we'll be listening to the first half of my interview with Anar Amin. As a child, Anar used to pass her time by playing school with the kids in her community. When she got older, she knew teaching was in her blood. She didn't want a desk job. She wanted to inspire minds and educate people. Anar eventually went off to the University of Oklahoma on a dance scholarship, a hobby of hers that became an outlet for her during her teenage years. She decided to pursue both dance and education. But when she was 19, something happened that changed the course of her life. Anar's father suddenly passed away and Anar's faith was completely shattered. A couple years go by and Anar graduates with a degree in elementary education. Later, she hears about STEP through her mentor at Jamatkana. The Secondary Teacher Education Program is a two-year program founded in 2007. It awards its students with two master's degrees in Islamic education and teaching through the Institute of Ismaili Studies and the University College of London Institute of Education. Anar realized that she didn't know enough about her faith. Searching for answers, she applied and eventually got into STEP, shaping the rest of her career. So you're starting your 10th year as a STEP teacher, correct? Yes. And that's a decade. (laughs) Yes. And then you're also starting your seventh year or you're in your seventh year as the regional academic lead for Central and Mm -hmm. West Hithrop. So can you like walk us through a day-to-day life for you in both roles? So as a 10th year professional step teacher, I would normally have five classes to teach weekly, most likely go Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and then all day Saturday. And I would still be involved in other things like curriculum design, presenting to parents, doing adult RE sessions in the Jamaat, anything that has to do with Itrab and related to it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the secondary Dalim. You can also help out in primary Dalim and ECD Dalim. So we have our hands dipped in a lot of different places, especially camps 
oh my gosh, like anything that has to do with the camp from the Jamaati institutions, we are there as step teachers. Camp Legacy, Camp Al-Uma, Camp Al-Ilm, The Retreat, College Program in Islam, anything that is through the Jamaati Institute, you most likely see a step teacher helping out either in the back end or the front being a facilitator. And even the young adult conversations are happening online and the critical conversations are happening online. So a good handful of step teachers are involved in training the Jamaat and speaking to the Jamaat. A majority of a step teacher's day is spent at the office, Anar says, collaborating with peers, creating lesson plans and preparing for teaching. Then in the evenings and on Saturdays, we teach. So my days off would be Sundays and Mondays, technically. And as a step teacher, like you have your year round schedule where you do get your summers off if you choose to, or you may choose to be in a camp and you're helping out there or doing some other project. And it's really up to you and how you want to utilize your time. And then in the regional academic lead role, especially for two large regions, and though West may seem really small, it's really widespread. And Central is huge because it's got Albuquerque, Tyler, Waco, Denver, and Little Rock, and Oklahoma, and then all of the metro centers in Dallas. So I'm attending board meetings. I myself am involved in projects. So I am developing our evaluation growth tool with the global IAS faculty. And I am also in charge of coming up with the adult religious education classes on the new curriculum. I'm also just doing a lot of little things on the side, but mainly my role is to oversee the 20 Jamaat Kanas and the REC centers in both regions. And we have about 12 teachers or so on my team that I coach and mentor. So it's sort of like it's an all day thing. And of course, Sundays are always going towards a conference, presentation, meetings of some sort. And then I truly only have Mondays off, in my opinion. And today I went and got a massage. So I was really <laughs> happy about that. I'm glad you're building some time for yourself because I think self-care yeah. is really important. And I know you said that sometimes, depending on whether or not a step teacher chooses to have a summer, they can. So which bucket do you fall into? Oh, I've never had a summer. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I've never had a summer off. Every time I think I'm like, okay, I'm just going to say no to this project or that project. It's not even the fact that I can't say no. It's that I'm interested and I want to do it and I want to be there and I want to help. And by no means is a FOMO. I think it's just naturally, oh, this is exciting. There has never been a year, Sony, that I haven't felt challenged and that I haven't felt excited to do something that has to relate to my job as being a step teacher. And it's also because I'm a step teacher that I'm awarded and honored to have some of these opportunities. Since you said that you basically don't know what a summer vacation is. Can you talk to us a little bit about the blurred lines between Seva and your job? Because on one hand, it's like, oh, but I'm doing how's your mom's work. I'm doing something for the community. I can't say no. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a really important question. I think this may even resonate with everyone that is giving their time to the institutions, whether in a professional paid capacity or not. I think for me, and I'm not speaking on behalf of any other step teacher there is out there. I'm speaking on behalf of me. For me, it is a job and it is Seba. And that's also because of the way that I was brought up and the experiences that I've had. I was part of student council when we were in REC. I was a Makarima for student majlis. I always tutored. I was a board member for AKEB when I was really, really young. I've always had some sort of hand in the seva that comes with it, right? Whether youth volunteers, uniformed or not, whatever it is. So I think for me, it was really easy to say, oh, 
program gives me the opportunity to serve the imam and it's professionally paid. Like, how awesome is that? So for me, it wasn't ever a question of, oh my gosh, can I switch it off or not? However, more and more lately though, as great as I am, I feel in this role, there's a lot I still want to do. So I keep taking more on, right? Because I'm like, oh, let me try this challenge. Let me try that challenge. Or I haven't ever written lesson plans for the adult RE component yet. So let me try that now. And so at every point, there is something that I just want to try. The downside to that is that you're right. Like self-care, like for me to be so excited about going for a massage today, Sonny, that's rare because I don't usually go and it took me months and months to get myself to sign up. And still, of course, with COVID in place, you're still taking all the precautions that gets put on the back burner. And not only that, when you have free time, you're thinking, okay, do I give myself the time? Do I give my family that time? Do I give my friends that time? And then what ends up happening is you always choose the other two buckets, but never yourself. And I think that to me is the most detrimental thing that you can do in any profession, whether it combines your seva and or not. And I think I'm now hoping to be more cognizant of that. So I want to be able to say no where it's appropriate, but you say yes, where I really truly can. But I think the blurred lines sometimes come with guilt and shame that is more self-imposed than it is from others. And I think that's where I was up until about two years ago. But now I feel a little bit good to just give myself that time now. What are some of the other joys of the job that keep you going? If you were to give us a couple of examples, maybe memorable moments in the last 10 years. Oh my gosh, so many. And the only thing that really pops to mind as a honest, genuine answer, Sony, is that like I get to empower students. I get to empower adults and Jamaati members and Murids of the Imam. Not everybody can say that they have access to, but also a conversation that they want to have with them. I've had students reach out to me six, seven, eight years later and be like, Miss Amin, do you remember that video we watched on Prophet Muhammad? I have to present something in college. So can you send it to me again? And can we have a conversation? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Or somebody will come up and say, I'm dating someone and they're of a different faith. I just need some help to understand how they'll fit into the Kani space if we were to get married. So the conversations range. And even in my own family, on the dinner table, you're having theological conversations, obviously. And there are times where I don't say anything for the better. And there are other times where I'm like, no, let me tell you what I just learned. And I think it's so exciting to see that you have inspired and impacted someone's life because you're able to provide them a space to converse. And I by no means have a black and white answer for anyone. There's no such thing in our tradition as well, in our faith tradition, but really there's this gray shaded area and I am all up in that. So I welcome you to come in this gray shaded area with me and hopefully you walk away with something inspirational that you make your decision from. Do you ever feel like it's hard for you to turn off that step teacher mode if that makes sense. Even with your yeah. friends, do you feel like you're always just bringing in that step teacher personality and you're like, wait, these are not my students. They're my friends. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I think I'm pretty good at taking a step back and just being Anar Amin and not Miss Amin all the time because it's not fair to me either, right? I need to switch off sometimes. So I think with my friends and my family, I'm okay. Unless they really want to talk to me about something that's faith related that the hat's back on all the time. However, 
for non-Ismaili interactions with other Muslims or other individuals of other faiths, I always have that hat on because there's always an opportunity to teach. There's always an opportunity to learn from. So my best conversations have actually been on airplanes with the person sitting next to me or this election. I was an election judge. And for many people, I was the first South Asian they've met. And I was definitely the first Muslim that they've encountered. And at the moment during the elections, I was taking a course at the Center for Christian and Muslim Studies on the Quran and the Bible and Torah, where we were reading all three scriptures and doing some comparative conversations about the prophetic stories. And during one of the times where I was being a judge, I had brought the Bible with me. I was like reading through the passages that I was supposed to read and I have no shame in like hiding or whatever. And it sparked so many conversations about, wait, what? Like you're reading the Bible and the Torah, but you're Muslim. And okay, but like, isn't Quran teaching you to like not do X, Y, and Z? And it was just like spark a conversation. So I feel like my hat then is definitely on. And I'm like, let me enlighten you with all the studies and the understanding that I have for the past 10 years. Yeah, no, I think that's super meaningful to be able to have that background and knowledge to be able to engage in those dynamic conversations. For most people, there's a pivotal moment that sets them on the course of their career and or personal journeys. For Anar, she knew she was interested in teaching since she was young and played school with the kids in her community. So I would always be the teacher and I would always give the kids homework. It was always math because I loved it. And then they would always want recess. And that was something that we played school. And coming from a family that really valued education as well, because that's the reason we moved to the States so that my brother could get a better education, that wasn't ever frowned upon. I actually have people in my mom's side of the family that were teachers. My aunt was a teacher. My mom at one point was a teacher. My dad's sister was a teacher. My grandma's father was an alvise. So teaching and all of this is really in my blood. I think it's part of my legacy. I am actually really good at it, I feel. And it works. And I knew from a very, very young age that this is what I wanted to do. But coming from an immigrant family, financial stability was really important for Anar. Teaching wasn't really going to get you there, right? So ultimately, I needed to find something that was different, something that really brought in finances. And then I was looking into computer science. I'm a really great coder. I don't know how I happened chance upon that in high school, but it was amazing. And that's what I was applying to school for, actually. But two weeks before school started, I was like, no, I can't do this. I cannot sit behind a computer screen for eight hours a day and not socialize with people and not teach them and tell them how resourceful I am and, and all of that. And two weeks before school started, I switched majors, I switched schools, I got a scholarship for dance. I don't know how that even happened. And then I did education and this is where I am today. But guess what? What do I do today? I sit behind a computer screen for more than eight hours a day and work. But I am socializing with people. I am teaching people all the time. So I think it's always been there. Anar got a dance scholarship for the University of Oklahoma, where she decided to pursue a double major in dance and elementary education. She later dropped dance as a major when her life took a turn. I was actually in a modern dance team in my high school. It's called Moving Ground. And it was a really, really great way to have a sanctuary. Because as you're growing up, at least for me in an immigrant family, you don't talk about stuff that happens in the house. But you're also not allowed to keep a diary. I wasn't. 
So how do you let it out? You don't talk to your friends about it either. So an outlet becomes a really important thing. And for me, dance was that outlet. So I could just let it out. And what was so great about modern dancing was that it's actually very interpretive and symbolic. And obviously the audience walks away with a different understanding than the dancer may on stage, but that's the beauty of it. You get to take what you want from it. I think that really helped. And then of course, when I was freshman, my father passed away and then my only thought was, okay, you got to finish school ASAP so that you could get a job, so that you can make money, so that you can help support. And of course, I'm the older one. So that was all it was. And I just let go of dance as a major. And I said, okay, that's fine. Like as long as they can continue, hopefully to give me the scholarship to at least pursue education, I can give up dance. But that didn't mean I gave up dancing. I was still dancing on the side and did a little bit of Bali fusion. I joined my university's dance team called Sooner Sonies. And we did a lot of competitions, a lot of performances, and that just kept me going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everybody needs an outlet. And I think it's something that people still struggle with, even like in their adult lives. So before you went to the University of Oklahoma, there was a different university that you were going to go to for computer science. Yeah, I applied to a lot of different places and I applied to MIT and that's like the place that I was going to go. And then I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. And then I decided to go somewhere where I could do education and dance. And actually Oklahoma produces the best teachers from their college of education. Unfortunately, they can keep none of them in the state because just about two, three hours away in North Texas, Dallas, they pay you about $15,000 more. Than Oklahoma does. So a lot of the teachers actually just go straight to Texas and I kind of did the same. When Anar was 19, she lost her father very suddenly to a horrible crime. It was so shocking and abrupt for all of us when my father passed away that it sort of shattered our faith. And I think it shattered it more for my brother and I than did my mom because my mom held on stronger to the faith to be able to help herself emotionally, mentally. For my brother and I, it was a completely different story. And for me, I just could not fathom that someone else who wasn't a smiley hurt my father and thus caused his demise. So if someone from your own faith does something bad, because I grew up with this mentality of all smileys are amazing. They're, they're brothers and sisters in faith and they don't hurt each other and all of that. So when that happened, I was in shock. I didn't understand it. I was really, really mad at God. I was really mad at the world and everything else and didn't really understand how someone of the same faith could hurt someone else. So I think for about three years or so, my brother and I had a really, really hard time. And I don't think it anything that we partook in, whether it was rites and rituals or going to Jamatkana or talking to others, really crystallized any of it for us. I think that in my heart of hearts, I honestly feel that getting into the step system in the cohort three that I got in was the thing that I think saved me and crystallized my faith for me because I realized I didn't really know much before going in. And I think possibly why my faith shattered so much was because I didn't understand it to the fullest extent. So when I went to step and I'm learning, I'm reading, oh gosh, we had to read so much on me and we had to write so many papers, but that helped you to be content, to understand, to articulate, and that to really know who you are 
in this whole event that happened X amount of years ago. And that took a lot of courage and a lot of transformation and a lot of hurt and anger to subside for me to be content with who I am today. But sometimes it happens. You have fundamental existential questions when something like that happens in your life. And sometimes you have the same questions when nothing happens in your life or nothing so tragic. But when some of those questions get answered, not in the black and white way, but in the gray shaded area, it's a good feeling. It's a really, really good feeling. And there's no ounce in me that doesn't understand why that incident happened. I think I get it now. Sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. Are you able to explain a little bit about what you mean by blessing in disguise for you personally? I think my brother and I could have gone down a completely different path. You have choices. You also live in America where there's peer pressure from a lot of different places. You also live in a country where you have access to everything. And I think my brother and I both chose a path, two completely different paths, but both chose a path that didn't lead us down destruction. And we were both questioning, I feel, for constructive reasons, not necessarily for destructive reasons. So where we are today, like, through the STEP program, I have a double master's. Through the STEP program, I'm awarded opportunities of leadership, and I'm stronger at the age of 35 now than I've ever been mentally and academically and intellectually. My brother, Shakur, he's a rock star. He built his own company at the age of 16 and worked really hard for six years, starting at 18, and then his whole entrepreneurial path and everything that he's been doing since then. And even now he has a medical supply company and he wants to help the world. And he's got this altruistic mindset just as we did when we were younger because my mom put that in us, my dad put that in us. So I think that blessing in disguise is that we're both helping and empowering in two different ways. Whereas we could have been just dragging everybody else down with us. And we chose not to do that. And that is really tough. That is so tough. I mean, it hurts that my father is gone. I miss him. I was a daddy's girl, but look at where we are today. I don't know. I think my brother really helped with that. I think your father would be really proud of you today. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. How did you go from your sophomore year of college experiencing that and then to suddenly applying for STEP? Because that's about three or four years between that. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through how you stumbled upon STEP? Yeah. What made you feel like, okay, this is my calling. I have to apply. I was teaching middle school math at the time in Norman, Oklahoma. Actually, I had started my master's. And somebody that is close to me in Kane, she was like a mentor to me. She was like, hey, Golden Jubilee, have you heard of the STEP program? I was like, no, what are you talking about? Because during Golden Jubilee, I missed a lot of the announcements, all the TKN stuff, because I was in Oklahoma. I was a small county. It was an hour away from my school. And I just, I don't, you know, there's no like email communication. It wasn't any smiley insight and things like that back in the day. So I didn't really like hear the announcements. And they were like, you would be perfect for this. You've done all the seva, you really understand, and you're a teacher, and you'd be a great educator, and I really believe in you, so go apply. And I was like, I don't even know what this is. Okay, let me look it up. And at the time, they weren't even taking people that come straight out of college. They want you to have a year experience. 
And so I was like, well, I'm going to apply anyway, get them to get to know me a little bit. And even if they don't interview me, they don't interview me. And lo and behold, they called me up and they said, we're not taking, you don't qualify. And I was like, okay, well, my name's Anara Amin. I hope you remember me for next year. And then I applied again. And it was like a game changer for me. I cannot believe I got in, first of all. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then I talked to my family and I'm like, there's this master's program, it's fully funded. And I would come back and teach in Kani and how cool would this be? But before taking that leap in her career, Anar had to have a conversation with her family. That meant that I'd go away again and my brother has to stay again. And that he has to take care of mom and we wanted to make sure that that was okay. And I think my brother is, the sweetest person in the world with the biggest heart. And he's like, yeah, go, I'll be here. And when you come back, then I'll go do my stuff and you'll go take care of mom. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so I think it was just like a happen chance. It was like, okay, my mentor mentioned it. If she had not mentioned it, I wouldn't even know what it is. So I think it was meant to be, but at the right time, because from the day that I applied the first time and them tell me I don't qualify till the next full year, I really understood what the program was about. I talked to the people that were already in it. I started doing the proper research that I need to get done. And I think that the cohort three that I was with and the small group of people, usually the step cohorts are about 40, 44 at a time. And my cohort was only 25. And it was amazing. It was from five different countries. And we all together, it was definitely meant to be. Until this day, my best friends from grad school from London are step teachers in Canada and a couple of them here in the United States. So I think that whole journey helped me to get there. And then the transformation that took place from someone that didn't even know where the prophet got his revelation and in what year and what country and what mount it was on to, okay, like I can do this. I can learn and be critical and push myself and others thinking to understand their faith a little bit better. And here I am 10 plus years later, still doing this. That's why I don't know if I want to do anything else. I don't know if I'm meant to do anything else. So even if I wanted to pivot right now in my career, not only do I not know what to pivot to, I don't know if I'll get the same joy and exhilaration that I do now in the system. And as stressful as it is, sometimes there's always something that pulls me back. So you asking me these questions today, I'm like, all right, yeah, like this is the reason why I'm doing this. I'm empowered to teach the kids. I really want to help everybody out. I want the 19 year old me to have the confidence and the help that I should have had at that time. And I didn't. And it's nobody's fault. It's just, it was life and you learn. And sometimes you have to go through it so that you can help others. And I want that same little Anar or young Anar to be able to have the support system. So that's how I think about my students as well. And it's lovely to see the relationships that we built with our students that last a really long time. Now, you are the older sibling. And you said that there were multiple times where your brother had to stay at home and take care of mom because you had these aspirations and career dreams that you needed to fulfill. How did that dynamic work out? You know, there's always these ideas of, oh, the older person has to be the one that is sort of taking care of the family. Yeah. And for you, it was the younger brother was taking care of the family. How did that play out for the rest of your life, if you could dive into it a little bit? Sure. And I think gender roles play a big deal here. And when my father passed away, my brother became the man of the house, basically. And I think 
it wasn't ever a huge pressure that was put on him, but I think internally he felt as well that, okay, I got to go help. I got to do something. And I was working at the bank at the time when I was here prior to, so I was already helping to pay the bills and things like that. And unfortunately at one point, I think I made more than my parents did. So working at the bank. So that tells you, right? That's hard. That's really difficult. So when you lose another income like that and I'm away at college, so that's two income gone. My brother's like, okay, I got to do something. So I'm super proud of him that he just sort of took it on himself and started his own company and figured out how affiliate marketing works and did it all on his own. And I wasn't there to help him for any of it. I don't even know if I helped him like to apply to college, which is really sad because I went through all of that. But with this whole mindset of, okay, jildi jildi, like hurry up, got to finish all of this and, and start getting paid mindset. Sometimes you forget you have other things that you have to be responsible for at home. And I give him all the props for taking on that responsibility. So as much as when we were eight years old and I was making him eggs when we were home alone, because our parents worked 14 hours a day to us throwing shoes at each other because we were really mad at the age of me to 13 and him 10 we are now 35 and 32 almost. And I think we're really close. I think the experiences that we felt, the loneliness, the desperation to get out of the current situation, they're both similar feelings and thoughts. They just manifested in different ways. And as much as I am the oldest sister and that I want to be able to provide and I want to be able to give a comfortable life to my family, my brother fulfilled that for us. And I can't be any grateful and happier than I am today to see the man that he's become and truly lived up to the title of the man of the house. And I think that there are these downsides to gender roles and all of that, but there's also some of these upsides too. Can you like take us back to a moment while you're doing your whole step journey where it really solidified that this was the decision for you, that you made the right choice in becoming a step educator versus something more secular. Yeah, I hope my brother's okay with me sharing this, but when we were both struggling and questioning, I was already in London and my brother still had a lot of questions that I couldn't answer yet. I'm still in my first semester or something and he had come to visit. So I set up a a conversation between him, myself, and Dr. Kareem Gulamali. He's the individual that oversees the Wising training program. He was previously an MD doctor and then now does this. So it's great. And Dr. Gulamali was like, yeah, you know, 30 minutes, let's have a chat. You know, we sat in um, the London Smiley Center when nobody was there during the day because it's open. That's really great to have access during the day. And we just sat there and I facilitated that meetup, but it wasn't just for my brother to get the answers, the gray shaded answers that he needed. I needed them too. I was just not as confident to ask as he was. I only started asking when I got into the STEP program formally out loud. I always had them in my mind. And that 30 minute conversation turned into two hours. And I just sat there in awe of just the way that he articulated and gave us the verbiage for ourselves and for others. I knew that this was my calling. And if all it took for me was to facilitate a conversation with my brother and Dr. Gromley, then I can surely do that for others, not just to network and set up a conversation, but be that person. And Shukar, 
everything that I've learned so far and been able to have the conversations so far. I just had a YAC last night, which is a young adult conversation on taboo and religion. So that questioning is amazing, especially in the time right now. And that YAC was for 18 to 35 year olds. So very relevant. And to be able to facilitate that conversation with confidence and with resources and understanding, that makes me really proud of myself and of the program and just solidifying and crystallizing my faith for me. Man, thank you. Thank you. I'm still learning. It's still a work in progress, like you said, for myself. But I think in every aspect, I, I don't think I could ever forget this. This is probably like the highlight of my life right now. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Smiley Connection. If you'd like to get in touch with Anar or want to know more about other resources, check out the description in the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show so far, please give us a rating on the Apple or Google podcast apps and leave a review. A five-star rating goes a long way to help us amplify our message. If you're not ready yet, give us another try with the next episode. And if you know of any amazing people with compelling stories, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you email us at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was produced by me and edited by the talented Cassidy. Our cover art is designed by Nadia Khan and Shaquille Mullen. Marketing for this episode was carried out by Simon Jawani. Also, many thanks to Zoha Mullen, the head of strategic initiatives at IPN, and Farhan Manjiani for all his helpful guidance and charm in securing speakers. Music included in this episode are Pego by Permisia R.D., Cancion Triste by Enrique 27 Neveda, Rising Up by 8 or 41, Teardrops by Julius H., and That Peace by Giovane Bruno. Thanks again for listening.